Chapter 25 of The Radio Boys on the Mexican Border by Gerald Breckenridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 25 Danger at Hand. Bob, as well as Jack, had heard Frank's explanation of the occurrences at the cave, for he also wore a headpiece as he piloted the airplane. And it was with warm admiration toward the absent chum who so heroically had thwarted Morales' attempt to betray their hazardous expedition that he circled now above the two groups of lights which marked the Calamari's ranch and radio station. Smaller and smaller grew the circles, as with engine shut off he volplaned. The field was hard-packed and smooth, and the plane alighted finely with practically no jar. When it came to a dead stop at last, Bob drew a long breath of relief. He had not been up for several weeks, and night flying above strange country to a landing on unfamiliar ground had been a strain upon him. There were no mechanics running out to greet the alighting plane and trundle it into its hangar. Had this been a well-appointed landing field, such absence would have been suspicious. But to Bob and Jack it meant only confirmation of Roystone's remark that they were a careless lot at the ranch. "'Now for it,' said Jack, clambering out of the plane. The two chums stared around them, trying to pierce the darkness. They were in the middle of a long and wide field. A ring of low hills encircled them, the tops clearly outlined against the velvety sky. Overhead twinkled stars, brighter, warmer, and apparently closer than when viewed in their Long Island home. The hills on either hand were close. So, too, was the rampart at their back, over which they had flown. Those ahead were more distant, for it was in that direction extended the valley. Behind them was the radio plant, with its tracery of tower and antenna against the sky, and the windows of the powerhouse gleaming from the light within. Ahead was a long, irregular clump of buildings set among trees. Some were dark, but the main structure, which they knew from Stone's description was the ranch house, was brightly lighted. Try as they would to pierce the darkness, the boys were unable to discern anything other than this. There was not a human figure in sight. They gazed with a special interest toward the ranch house, because it was somewhere within those walls that Mr. Hampton was held prisoner. Soon, if all went well, Jack would be making his way within in search of his father. At the thought, his heart, which heretofore had been calm enough, began to beat rapidly, and for a moment he felt as if he were about to suffocate. His breath almost failed him. It was not an unnatural feeling, and soon passed. But Bob, noting the labored breathing, climbed from the airplane and put an arm over his chum's shoulder. "'Steady, Jack,' he said. "'Everything's gonna be all right.' The friendly gesture and sympathy in his chum's voice did steady Jack. "'All right now, Bob,' he said. "'Just at first, though.' "'Right-o,' oh, the big fellow answered. "'I'm scared stiff myself, and I'm not even going into the ranch. If I were in your boots, I'd probably be shaking myself loose from them.' The pleasantry was what Jack needed. He grinned at the thought of Big Bob shaking so much with fear as to shake off his shoes, and his recovery was complete.' The plan was for Jack, in the dress and character of Morales, to go to the ranch house, enter boldly, and make his way to the room where his father was held prisoner. Bob was to stay with the plane. Releasing his father, Jack would return with him. Then they would all three fly away across the international boundary to the north. It was impossible to foretell, of course, what obstacles to the carrying out of this daring proposal would arise. Both boys felt certain, however, that so far they were not suspected, and that first Jack and then Frank had successfully thwarted the attempt of Morales to send a warning to the ranch by radio. Neither was aware, of course, that the jumble of sounds through the air when Jack from the airplane had interfered with Morales' attempt to warn the ranch, and later the coded conversation between Jack and Frank, after the latter had obtained possession of the radio plant in the cave and had overcome Morales, 
had aroused the curiosity and then the suspicions of the young German Muller, who operated the radio plant at the Calamari's ranch. A few moments before the beat of its engine in the sky signalized the approach of an airplane, Muller had decided to go to the ranch and report to Calamari's. He had crossed the landing field afoot and had just reached the belt of trees when the machine volplaned to the field behind him. Although, as has been said, his suspicions were aroused, Muller was far from suspecting the truth. He had no idea the airplane had been recovered by its rightful owners and that these latter were about to make a daring attempt to rescue Mr. Hampton. His thought, on the contrary, was that something, he could not make a more definite surmise, had gone wrong at the cave. Therefore, when after standing several minutes at the belt of trees, gazing back toward the airplane, he saw a figure start from it for the ranch house, he believed it was either von Arnheim or Morales coming to report. Muller was a sycophant, the type of man eager to curry favor with those in authority. He decided he would gain the ear of the great Calamares first. That would detract somewhat from the glory of the other when he arrived. Turning, he darted for the ranch. Meantime, Jack was making his way ahead more slowly. While not attempting to hide, he was on unfamiliar ground and felt that it behooved him to follow implicitly the directions given by Roy Stone and make no mistakes. Passing through the grove, Jack came in sight of the ranch. He paused in astonishment. Roy Stone's description of the great house had prepared him in measure. Yet he was astounded. Here indeed was a palace in the wilderness. The mansion stood on a slight elevation with a lawn in front sloping down to the trees from which Jack had emerged. In design, it was like a country house of the ancient Roman aristocracy. The walls were of vari-colored bricks with inlaid designs representing formal flowers. Two stories in height with the towers at the corners rising another two stories higher. The building was in two wings or sections, joined in front by a marble-tiled walk, roofed and pillared, but with the sides open inside between these two wings roy stone had told jack was an open court nerving himself to the ordeal and pulling down his hat to obscure his features jack crossed the lawn and started mounting the wide flight of stone steps flanked by crouching stone lions he reached the marble tiles of the walk above and then despite his anxiety to gain the left wing and the tower where his father was confined he involuntarily paused the scene before him was one of the strangest to be found on the North American continent. This marble courtyard with its overhanging balcony around the sides and rear and its splashing fountain and pool in the center, the whole illuminated by the soft glow of electric lights cunningly concealed along the edges of the balcony like footlights on the lip of a stage. But it was not this alone which held Jack's gaze riveted and caused a smothered cry of surprise to burst from his lips. Involuntarily he stepped from the shelter of a pillar behind which he had been standing. For approaching along the balcony of the left wing, Jack saw the loved figure of his father engrossed in conversation with a small, dark man of patrician bearing. It was instinct rather than conscious thought which checked the cry on his lips. Instinct told him a shout would mean betrayal and the shattering of his desperate plan. Yet careless of who might see, he stood there looking up at the distant figure until it was lost to view, cut off by the outjutting roof above him. That one sight, however, lifted a vast load from the boy's mind. His father, at least, was not mistreated. Evidently the man with him was the Don, and just as evidently his father was treated more as a guest than a prisoner. At sound of footstep on the marble tiles behind him, Jack returned with a start to a realization of his surroundings and the perils of his position. 
Assuming a carelessness which he was far from feeling, he refrained from turning about, but instead started walking for the left wing ahead in the tower of which he knew his father to be lodged. But the step behind him was accelerated, and he was hailed by name as Morales. Jack halted. Here was the first ordeal to be passed. Well, he was prepared for it. According to his plan, he had bound his face in a handkerchief and intended to pretend having a toothache. The swathings partly hid his features, and the pulled-down hat further obscured them. "'I'm busy. Don't delay me,' he growled in Spanish, imitating Morales's voice. The newcomer approached. It was Muller. End of chapter 25